and welcome to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. Lawyerish is a safe space to learn, grow, inspire, and be inspired. So come along and ride on this fantastic voyage. Let us go be great together. I'm Brandon J. Wallace Esquire, and I'll be your captain. It's a whole lot, and I sure am glad you're here. Lawyerish is brought to you by Apex, where aptitude beats excellence. And our Voyage Vibe is brought to us today by Lizzo. This is Juice from her 2019 album, Cause I Love You. It's a, it's a whole vibe. <laughs> get into it. Let's get right in to Duly Noted. Okay, friends, it's time to get into Duly Noted this week. And... I got to tell you, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on this today because I find it terribly annoying, but I think it's important for me uh, and for us to pay attention to this story. And it is uh, your friend, Kanye West. (laughs) I got to say that I've been over Kanye West for some time now. Uh, I've been over his antics um, and his, his issues and all of his stuff, right? I just, I'm over Kanye West. And so I well, apologize to those of you who are stands for him and think that he's a musical genius. I do not. I think he's a maniac and I'm really over him. But, you know, as a person, I wish him well uh, because I know that he is grieving and uh, I, I want the best for him and his children uh, and his family. I feel for him because he lost his mother, and I think that really fundamentally changed him, as I imagine it might um, for any of us, and has for some of us. But I think that it it the loss of his mother really, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to diagnose the guy, but I think that really changed him, and it really impacted him in a way that he has not been able to recover. Again, uh, that sort of circumstance is not beyond uh, beyond the pale for any of us. So my, my heart goes out to him in that sense. It really does. And, um, you know, I just, so here's what's going on, right? Just so you know, right? If you don't know, uh, Kanye West is married to Kim Kardashian, and they have recently gotten a divorce, and... It's a whole thing. And what we've seen is this escalating sort of back and forth between the two of them and this third party, uh, whatever this guy's name is, I don't even know his name, Pete Davidson. This is uh, sort of escalation between, uh, you know, tabloid and social media posts between uh, the three of them. And then it's also sort of broadened now where, where D.L. Hughley and Trevor Noah, who is the host of The Daily Show, have uh, sort of publicly made statements about uh, what they have claimed to be harassment of uh, of Kim Kardashian by Kanye West. He's made some, uh, it started as sort of this uh, sort of romantic thing where Kanye was sending roses and doing things like that and then uh, trying to get his girl back. And then I think it has escalated to text messages and, uh, you know, other things that, you know, are more closely aligned to harassment. And I only bring this up today because I don't I don't do tabloid drama. 
Um, But I bring this up today because I want us to be aware and cognizant of domestic disputes and the danger of domestic disputes. I'm not sure it's quite there yet, uh, but given Kanye's track track record of being uh, 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 a Trump supporter, a MAGA Trump supporter all of a sudden, uh, and running for president as a third party, uh, candidate. These are things I just have not ever, I can't forgive him for, uh, because I just don't, I don't get it. But anyway, given his track record and his mental, uh, health issues that we, that we've, uh, seen on display over the years, uh, it concerns me that we're not paying enough attention to it. And I am sort of in line with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, D.L. Hughley and, and Trevor Noah here, where it just seems that this is spiraling, and if we don't get a handle on it, uh, then it this could end in tragedy. And we've heard some of that, uh, some of those stories here on this show. Uh, my good friend William Kilber talked about his mother uh, being uh, uh, shot and killed right in front of him uh, as a result of a domestic dispute. And so my guard is up here, um, and I'm hoping that things calm down uh, and that uh, the parties will go about their business and seek help, uh, particularly Kanye. But if it doesn't, then we need to be calling on some district attorneys and some others to, to, to step in. We need the authorities to step in and keep everyone safe. Uh, my biggest fear is that this spirals out of control. I think that's the same thing that Trevor Norrell was saying. Uh, his mother was killed in a de- uh, domestic, I'm sorry, his, was injured in a, in a domestic dispute. If I'm not mistaken, I believe she was shot uh, in a dis- domestic as- dispute. Um, and I think he's pretty sensitive to that. And so am I. I worked a lot in the field. Um, and, um, and as a person who has, has seen personally and professionally uh, domestic disputes get out of control and, and go violent and, um, and end tragically. I just don't want to see that happen here. I don't want to see that on public dis- display. Um, and I want to make sure that uh, those children, uh, beautiful children of theirs, grow up and be well with both of their parents. So that's just my two cents. I hope we're keeping an eye on that. And like I said, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I just want to raise the red flag or add add my voice to a, a rising chorus of people that are that are saying we need to pay attention to this and we need to be safe about this and we need to um, uh, prevent any violence before anything happens. So that's just my two cents. What do you think? Let us know at lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. That's been duly noted. Let's get right in to lawyerish. I've been out here with my good friend, my colleague, uh, and law school classmate, Miss Ashley Jones. Ashley, thank you so much for doing the show and for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, friends, if you don't know, Ashley Jones is a native Washingtonian. She takes pride in giving back to her community. Uh, Ashley obtained her law degree from the University of the District of Columbia, David A. Clark School of Law, and her bachelor's from the Spelman College as a political science major. 
After graduating from Spelman, Ashley sought opportunity to pour into underserved communities uh, by advocating for those without a voice. Uh, her journey has led her to now be the legal associate heading the self-help office at AARP's Legal Council for the Elderly, uh, whose mission is to protect the rights of our elderly citizens. Again, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to chat with you. Thanks for making the time. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. For let's just you. make, let's jump right into it then. So how did you uh, get to be practicing elder law? Well, when I graduated from Spelman College, I had a moment where we all have where we realize our family members are getting older. And so I returned back to the District of Columbia and I was in law school and I found myself struggling. I'll just be mm -hmm. honest, where I was trying to take care of my elderly family members and then at the same time juggle law school. So in between certain sessions at law school, I would leave class, go help my grandmother either get out of bed or help her get food. And I came to a point where I realized I am not the only one going through mm -hmm. this struggle. I am not the only one who is having to balance work life as their professional life with their personal life. And that gave me the passion and desire to enter into the field of elder law, knowing that there are other individuals without that granddaughter like me. And they need my help too, and I need to help them in some type of way. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive. I did not know that you were, you know, caring for your for your grandparents while you were in law school. I, I didn't know that. I mean, it's a uh, for those who don't know, law school law school is <laughs> tough time uh, <laughs> for a lot of us. It's a dark and dreary time. Um, <laughs> um, but for you to you know be going through all of that and still taking care of your grandparents, I think that's that's uh, that's huge. I, I had no idea you were you were sort of juggling both at, at the same time. I appreciate that. It was it was a struggle, um, but between other family members and myself, we would take hours or take shifts uh, in order to be able to get it done while we were waiting to try to get some type of aid or health aid to come in and help my grandparents. Now, were you, uh, did, were you always in elder law? Like, has that sort of been your, uh, your main practice area since you left law school? Well, believe it or not, Brandon, uh, when I first started law school, I just knew I wanted to be a criminal defense mm. attorney. I knew for sure this is what it is. And as you know, UDC uh, in other law schools as well with immigration clinics, they have a way of shaping you to realize you can still find your purpose or find your area that really drives you. And it may not be what you thought it was when you come, but then when you leave the doors, it's something else. And so, like I said, I, at first I wanted to do criminal law, but then when I graduated, I knew that bottom line, I just want to help people. And to be frank, I didn't have a specific field. I just knew I want to help people. I get satisfaction from helping others, whether it be children, whether it be elderly clients, homeless individuals. I knew whatever I did for a living from that point on needed to evolve around giving back in some way. Mm -hmm. And and is that, I guess my next question is, what is your inspiration, right? How do you, uh, what inspires you to kind of continue to do what you're doing now? So what expires, inspires me to continue to do what I'm doing now would honestly be my dedication to family. 
Um, I know that, and a lot of people don't know this about me, but my grandmother, uh, Betty Jones, who passed away actually in May of 2020 due to COVID, that was my best friend. Uh, and, And she was a phenomenal individual. And I deeply valued the connection that we had. And I was her best friend. She was mine to the point where her own children would get jealous of our relationship and say, like, why are you favoring Ashley? I'm your daughter or your son. But we were that close. We really were. Uh, I would spend New Year's Eve with her and everything. But again, I would realize when I was in her community, you know, going to her senior um, apartment building, this person has no one coming to visit them. And that made me want to go into the field of elder law and want to be um, an attorney at legal counsel for the elderly because of everything legal counsel for the elderly stands for, where you can assist a client with housing, with food, with estate planning documents. All of that really shaped helping this individual who may not get a knock at the door from a family member, but maybe once in a blue moon, if that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's... I think that's great. I think the work that you that you do is is really incredible. Uh, can you kind of just tell us a little bit, like unpack a little bit about like what do you actually do for for uh, uh, elderly clients at at AARP? Sure. So, legal counsel for the elderly believes of the importance in being on the ground, and I say on the ground because I am literally in the community, not in an office at headquarters at six hundred one East Street Northwest but specifically on the ground within Mm. the community. So through partnerships such as Bread for the City in Southeast on Good Hope Road to the Dorothy Height Library located between um, Benning Road and Minnesota Avenue in Northeast DC, we want to get as close to the client as possible because we know that our vulnerable client population may not have the money to get them, you know, get the Metro to Chinatown to, you know, to meet with us for a certain specific, for a specific need. And we know that they may not have, you know, money for Metro access or a taxi, things like that. So by being on the ground, we believe that you are able to assist this person without them having to go through hoops and tangles to get to you. So for example, on Mondays, I'm at Bread for the City. What I do is I specifically camp out, have my station there, and we have client appointments. Right now, we are operating by appointment only uh, due to COVID. So walk-ins are not encouraged, but we do allow them. So during these client meetings, I'm assisting clients with almost every area that if that if you were to be at headquarters uh, at Legal Counsel for the Elderly, you would get there. So I assist the client with maybe a denial with social security benefits if I have to represent them with their social security issues, uh, maybe a request for a reconsideration regarding their social security benefits, their deeds with updating their deeds. Maybe someone lost a family member, uh, and which has been very common. Unfortunately, yeah. lately, I've found myself doing a significant amount of deeds where we are removing a deceased husband or sister and adding you know, this person. But to know that you have that service that's right down the street, that's within your neighborhood, within your ward, many clients appreciate that because otherwise they wouldn't have this opportunity as a lot of organizations are not providing services to homebound clients. Legal counsel for the elderly is, but a lot of organizations are not. So 
we want to give them that yeah, opportunity. Yeah, that's great work. And obviously, you know, meeting the needs um, of some of our elderly folks, uh, as you're talking about, right, sort of updating deeds. Do you do wills and things like that as well? I imagine that's a big part of your uh, of your day-to-day. Is that true? So believe it or not, wills okay. are not. Uh, and the reason why is because we want to ensure that the actions are being taken, the actions such as drafting a will are of the client's own free will and not out of pressure from maybe a family member or anything like that. So that takes a process with us. So initially, let's say a client does come to one of our locations uh, because we're in six of six of the eight boards within the District of Columbia, and they come to the location seeking a will. What we then do is we have them speak to one of our intake specialists who get initial information on what the client is trying to do. For, um, for certain situations, let's say if a daughter calls and say, hey, my mom wants a will drafted, we will allow the daughter to provide that initial information, but we believe in speaking with the client directly as opposed to the daughter. So for the will, we make sure that we're meeting with the client face-to-face. We're making sure that that family member who may be named in the will is not present within that direct meeting. So that hence is the importance of doing all of those services mm-hmm. in-house. Uh, and so we do have pro bono partner law firms who assist us with wills. We also do offer those services in-house uh, through our state planning okay, division. Very good. Okay. Now, I, I actually, um, you mentioned your grandmother, and I, I know that you have, and we didn't talk mm-hmm. about this, so I apologize for the blind side, but uh, <laughs> I know that you run an organization, a nonprofit named in her honor, the, the Betty Jones Foundation. Can you just spend about you know a minute or so telling us about that organization and, and what you do there? Sure. Great. I'd love to talk about it. So the Betty Louise Foundation was founded last year in 2021, and it was an honor or is an honor of my grandmother, Betty Jones. The reason why I sought to honor her in such a way is to really empower those with not only without a voice, but for those who may feel like giving up, not to give up. When I say this woman was everything in my hero, I mean it from having 17 back surgeries after being hit by a car or by a truck specifically, her health declined and one day she woke up paralyzed from the waist down to not giving up. Every day you see her still, she still had a smile, kept it going to being a single mom, being a victim of domestic violence as a mother, she stayed for her children and eventually got out of that situation, then tried to, she wasn't Um, She didn't receive her uh, college degree, but she did take classes uh, in order to be in the field of accounting and work for Sally Mae in order to be able to provide for her kids. So I wanted a foundation that represented everything she was and everything she is within myself because she is my inspiration. And I wanted people to have that inspiration as they go. And so within the foundation, we provide scholarships to such children as myself who may not have had money to go to college because we're telling them don't give up we're helping victims of domestic violence with such things like giant gift cards maybe to feed your family hey don't give up so it's whatever we do we're making sure we tell people someone else is fighting on your behalf someone else does believe in you yeah you're not alone i love that uh and can you just tell the people how to if they want to donate to the betty louise foundation how do how do they do that what does your website or Yes. So it is the, the BettyLouiseFoundation.org. 
and you will find all of our information there. And we're presently actually doing a book scholarship for Fairfax County public school students uh, that are seniors, class of 2020. You are committed to service, and I think that is wonderful, uh, something that we, we share in common, and, and I can always, um, maybe I think that's probably our HBCU background as well. Uh, that does that, you know, <laughs> exactly. we got to give back and take care of the community. So that's certainly commendable. I love that. Exactly. Um, all right. Anyway, sorry about that. Okay, so let's go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me. Let's, I've got to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. I've got two questions, um, my favorite questions to ask. Um, uh, first is, uh, can you tell us, like, maybe your either your best experience in, in the field, right, sort of in the practice of law, or your worst experience, it doesn't necessarily have to be the practice of law, but, you know, in your professional career, uh, either your best shining moment or your worst moment that was like, okay, I got to I got to do something different. I got to I got to shake this up because this is not mm -hmm. saying it. So <laughs> either one of those or both, your, your okay. choice. Yeah. Absolutely. So as you know, I work for legal counsel for the elderly. And as previously mentioned, we assist with social security benefits. My absolute best experience was assisting a client who was subject to eviction, actually, uh, a couple of months ago with securing social security benefits. And not only that, but back pay as well in order to be able for them to keep their housing. And this specific individual was every calling, you know, the hotline every day saying, you know, I really need this help. I really need this help. So I took his case, represented him within a social security matter. And fortunately, I was able to push his, which actually takes about 90 days, his process through and within not even four weeks. And we were able to expedite his benefits, able to assist him with securing housing and so for him not to be homeless. And that gave me all the sense of gratitude because I kept yeah, the man from living that's on the huge. street. Right. Those moments I, I, we were talking about, those moments are like, you know, they're so validating. All right. When we've gone through so much to go to law school, to pass the bar, right, to do all and to exactly. just to like find a space in the in the legal world when you're able to to do something, to make a win, secure a win for your client. It's like it makes it all Absolutely. worth it. It's like, yes, OK, that this is why I did this. This right. is why I'm here. <laughs> Right, right. All right, did you exactly. want to share a worst moment or are we going to stick with just this? Well, a worst moment, uh, not related really to legal counsel for the elderly, but my worst moment was when I was actually trying to figure out what area of law to go into uh, when graduating from law school. And I had started out uh, just at a small private firm and we were assisting a client with trying to get custody of his daughter. And to go and see a client going through hell and high water to get custody of his daughter and for you to go before a judge uh, and for them not to weigh in your client's favor, knowing that this client does has receipts of, you know, providing for the child and for being with the child majority of the time prior to mother taking this you know child away from the client and for justice not to be served and, the mother to ultimately gain full custody, full physical custody of the child yeah. broke my heart. And I would say that was the worst experience because I thought to myself, if I am doing everything in my power for this person and I firmly believed that we had it and for justice not to be served, I don't know if I can do this type of law. 
And I realized I can continue my humanitarianism with, at, like I said, giving back to the community versus doing such matters of law where I don't feel like Justice and that, I mean, that's a part of the, the our legal system, as, as we well know, we learned so much about the, the fact that, you know, the legal system is not always just right. Justice is not always exactly. get served. And, and that that's exactly. a reality uh, that uh, that is hard. Right. It's a hard pill to swallow, especially when, you know, it's like it is hard. It yeah. is very hard. It's like this is very supposed hard. to be fair and just and I'm hard. supposed to get justice. And then and then you don't. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be certainly disheartening for sure. Um, yeah, but I have I have friends that can are very uh good advocates in the courtroom and can just take that and shrug it off and keep going. Me on the other hand, I'm a little more sensitive and I want to help others in, in a different way. That's why you got to walk in your truth and be a show up authentic, right? If you do that, everything else will be exactly. Fine. Exactly. All right. My last question uh, is is actually my favorite question. One of, one of my these two are my favorite, but this is this is my real favorite because um, it's the last one. Uh, but what <laughs> what advice uh, do you have for other like younger lawyers or maybe uh, for your younger self? Uh, what advice would you give? Okay. Uh, well, for my younger self, uh, she struggled. <laughs> she struggled a lot, and you know she was living on welfare and, you know, on Section 8 public housing. And I would tell her, don't give up. Don't believe that you what you see as your surroundings presently are where you're mm, going to be in good. the future. And so always believe in yourself and stay motivated, even when you feel like everything keeps knocking you down and you'll make one stride forward, go 10 steps back. Keep going 11 steps. Do what you have to do to really make it. And for future lawyers, I would definitely say don't box yourself into one area of law. You may find that you go to school to be a criminal defense attorney and you may leave out of school thinking you want to be a contracts attorney. For, for all you know, you can find your purpose and what motivates you as long as you no, don't box yourself in and allow yourself to have these different experiences through law clinics or internships and okay, things like very that. Good, good counsel. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. I know how valuable your time is. I won't tell the people what your hourly rate is. <laughs> she got money, y'all. But no. Thanks so much for having me. You know what? <laughs> Thanks for doing the show. It's good to see you. I really appreciate you and you uh, well. look forward to chatting again. Maybe you'll come back on and do our roundtable. Um, we're we're going to do something like yes, that where we're going to take some questions from the people. And so um, we'll be in touch about that in the future. We'd love to have you back. Uh, thanks again Great. for your time. And we will see you next time. All right, friends, we'll All be right, right back with our next segment. <laughs> Friends, we are back and it's now time for our wellness check. Throughout this season, we've talked about what I've called my formula for success. That formula is challenge the mind, uh, punish the body, nourish the soul. And so I've argued that this formula uh, is the formula for success. I'd actually like to alter that just a bit. It's an ongoing theory. I think I have the right to do that. And well, it's my show, so I will. (laughs) Um, 
It's not a formula for success, though. I think what it is, it's actually a formula for wellness. So if you'll allow, I'd like to just correct that, uh, the record, and that's what we'll call it from now on is a formula for success. We've talked about what it means to challenge the mind, and hopefully we're working to learn something new every day, and we understand why that's important. We've also talked about what it means to nourish the soul, and hopefully we are doing things on a regular basis to feed our spirit man or spirit woman uh, because that our being that being needs to be nourished for us to be well today we're going to talk about what it means we're going to finally talk about what it means uh, to punish the body and don't be alarmed uh, i'm not a masochist uh, and I'm not uh, referring to whips and chains, <laughs> although I certainly don't knock it. And if anybody wants to come and chat on the show about it, that might be a future episode because the people do have questions. <laughs> no, today when we're talking about uh, punishing the body, we're really talking about discipline. And this is never a fun subject, and I, I doubt it'll be fun today. But discipline is required for our overall wellness. Discipline, meaning doing the things that you know need to be done, um, even though they hurt or even though it's a sacrifice. Doing those things because you have a bigger goal, because we have a bigger goal or objective ahead of us. Right? It's the sacrifice, uh, the temporary sacrifice, in order to uh, gain the larger picture. I read this book by Mark Manson some time ago. I don't know if you guys can see this if you're watching, but it's called Everything is Effed. I don't want to say it on the TV, <laughs> on the recording here, because my mother's watching. I'm not afraid, but I want to be respectful of any young people that are watching, although, I mean, come on, we're grown-ups here. But it's called Everything is Effed, A Book About Hope. It's by Mark Manson. And in this book, among other things, he argues that discipline is required um, because pain is a universal constant of life. I want to just read this excerpt. Human perception and expectations warp themselves to fit a predetermined amount of pain. In other words, no matter how sunny our skies get, our mind will always imagine just enough clouds to be slightly disappointed. The pain is always there. What changes is your perception of it. And as soon as your life improves, your expectations shift and you're back to being mildly dissatisfied again. Living well, this is the important part here, living well does not mean avoiding suffering. It means suffering for the right reasons, because if you're going to be forced to suffer by simply existing, we might as well learn how to suffer well. And I think that's such a critical uh, point that he makes in this book, uh, challenged by it uh, every day. Uh, and what it simply means in layman's terms is that uh, there's nothing we can do about pain. We talked about last week that um, it's going to cost you something, that whatever we want in life, it's going to cost us something. And so the point here is that pain is constant and that life is hard. 
And so what we choose to be disciplined about is what's going to make us or break us. Remember that these, that the patterns, the, the activities, the things that we do on a day-to-day basis establish uh, habits. And our habits form who we are. Our day-to-day habits form who we are. So remember, to achieve wellness, we have to be disciplined. Disciplined in the gym. Disciplined at work. Disciplined with our children. Disciplined in, in our homes. Disciplined in our in our own self uh, activities and, and actions. If you're married, well, it takes discipline to stay married, to stay monogamous, or to stay honest with your spouse. If you're a parent, it takes discipline to wake them up and get them to school on time and get them dressed. If you're in the gym and seeking physical wellness, it takes discipline to go to the gym when you don't want to and you don't feel like it. It takes discipline to repair your credit and pay your bills on time. It takes discipline. And we have to be disciplined in all areas. And so discipline doesn't mean physical punishment today or, or punishing the body doesn't mean physical punishment necessarily. Although when you're working out, that's going to be a part of it. It simply means uh, for punishing the body, we're challenging ourselves to be disciplined, doing the things that hurt now in order to win later. You, I'm sure if you're a Christian, you've probably heard the term, you got to crucify the flesh. Well, friends, that is discipline. And we've got to figure out ways to make sure that that bleeds over in every area of our life, wherever we want wellness. I hope that helps you. It has helped me. Read this book if you're interested. It was a great book. Everything is effed. A book about hope by Mark Manson, really great, uh, great read, and it really helped me to get through some dark times in my own life. More to come on that, but that is our wellness check. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, friends. It's time now for our Apex Highlight segment, and I am so, so very excited to have my friend, um, and my brother, my fellow Memphian chef, D author, uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for, for doing the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you so uh, much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Friends, if you don't know about Chef D. Arthur, first of all, you're tripping, okay? But secondly, <laughs> his name is Chef D. Arthur. He's a, a Memphis native uh, who has catered events all over the country and abroad. Uh, he's been serving at the request of high-profile executives, political leaders, various uh, NBA players and entertainers. He's always had a love for food and culinary arts, and he is uh, primarily self-taught, which is amazing. Uh, he's got this natural ability, uh, which he honed, uh, which was honed by his family cooks, uh, cooks in his family in a brief tenure at the International Culinary School at the Art Institute in Atlanta. Uh, he's uh, from Atlanta. He went on to get his master's degree. Uh, in higher education at Louisiana State University. And, and then he worked at uh, the University of Memphis uh, before honoring his true calling. Um, and so we're really excited to have him here. He's the owner of D. Authors Catering. He's a recipe developer, a food blogger. Chef D. Authors specializes in putting a unique twist on some of your favorite comfort dishes, uh, dishes like collard green egg rolls, smoked salmon cupcakes, oxtail empanadas, and lump crab 
stuffed lobster tails. I am hungry already. <laughs> Again, brother, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do the show. I know how busy you are. Uh, so we're really glad to have you today. Oh, man, I had to make time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it a lot. So let's jump right into it. I think one of the, the most interesting things uh, uh, about you uh, 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 is that you are self-taught. Like you start, you jumped into this uh, this field, right? Uh, completely just out of pure passion. Can you just talk about that? I mean, it, it, I mean, you eventually went to went to culinary school for a little bit, but can you just tell us how you decided to to get to become a chef? Absolutely. So it's something that I always wanted to do, even from being like a little kid. I was the kid who never wanted to play outside. I was always in the kitchen up under my mom, uh, seeing what she was doing in the kitchen. I was in grown folks business. Um, And I was always so impressed that she had all of these seasoning racks of uh, so many different seasonings, spices, herbs, all of that. And she would, you know, kind of tell me, you know, if you use a little bit of this, this will make the dish perfect. If you use too much of this, it'll throw it off. And so I was always so infatuated that the perfect balance and harmony of all of those things made the perfect dish. You couldn't use too much of anything. So I used to try to, you know, taste them by myself, all that kind of stuff. And so it just started there. Um, and from there, um, you know, Food Network slowly became a thing. And so um, from, mm. you know, loving under my mom, um, in the kitchen and then Food Network became really popular. So I was really, really into Emerald Lagasse and how he would like have live bands and that kind of stuff going on in the kitchen. And then Rachel Ray came on the scene and she was killing it. And Chef G Garvin, those kind of uh, people at the beginning of their careers kind of, you know, lit the fire for me. Um, it took that thing that I saw in my mom's kitchen or at my on my uncle's grill or, or, or at my auntie's house. And, and put a profession to it, put a, put an industry to it, made it cool. Um, and so from, from a very earlier age, I wanted to do that. Um, however, that wasn't my journey initially. I, I went to college, uh, uh, University of Memphis. I had an amazing time there. After college, I got a job that I absolutely hated. I won't say what that job is, but okay. I hated it so much that I was like, you know what? All right, what are we going to do with our lives now? At this point, it's 2007. The world's a different place. Technology is a different space. The Food Network is like, boom, uh, what it is to be a chef, what it is to go to culinary school, all of those things are front and center now. Um, So I quit this job to go to culinary school. I moved to Atlanta to go to culinary school. I was only in culinary school, however, uh, one quarter. And that's because it was crazy expensive to uh, finish the program. So I um, quit culinary school after one quarter. Um, ended up going to grad school at Louisiana State University where I got my master's in higher education. Uh, I went back to the University of Memphis where I worked in higher education at my alma mater. And I was there for about two years, but the whole idea of being a chef just would not leave me alone. It wouldn't turn you loose. It wouldn't turn me loose. It was always kind of poking at me. And at this point, you know, back in 2007, I hated my job. But now I have a job that I like. I'm in the industry that I like. I love the work I was doing with my students. However, now the chef thing is still here, even though I have a job that I like and I have a path that I like. And so I ended up talking to someone who inspired me to just start cooking everywhere I went. Um, hmm. In my mind, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to do this. I tried culinary school. That didn't work. I tried starting a blog. That didn't work. You know, I couldn't figure out how to get this rhythm. Um, and she says, just start cooking everywhere you go. And I don't know what's going to come from that, but people will eventually uh, become to know you as the guy who can cook. 
And so I get off the phone with her. She was a chef out in LA. I was really inspired by that conversation. And I called a friend of mine who had an event coming up, uh, a fashion pop-up. And I was like, yo, do you have a caterer for this event? He was like, no. I was like, I'll cater it for free. I just like, I just, I just want to do something. And he let me do it for free. Um, I got some cheap business cards made. I, um, went to Walmart and got some decorations and I made chicken lasagna cupcakes. Hmm. Um, and they were a hit and people took those cheap business cards and, and, and went to that, that blog that I made um, and thought I had a legitimate catering company. And it just took off from there. Uh, one call turned into two, turned into five, turned into 10, one small event here turned into a couple of small events turned into mid tier events turned into, can you cater my wedding? Uh, me not knowing anything about business turned, you know, and never really setting out to be an entrepreneur, quite frankly, only really setting out to try to figure out a way to in, indulge myself in culinary arts without necessarily having to go to culinary school since that route didn't work out for me. Um, and it turned into entrepreneurship. It turned into me figuring out how to get a business license, how to get insurance, how to market, how to pay taxes correctly, you know, um, how to uh, have employees versus ind independent contract. All of those things I kind of fell into, but I fell into it through my love for culinary arts. Yeah, through the, through the passion. Yeah, so were you cooking like all this time before, you know, were you, I imagine you were still like making food for yourself or for your family and friends and things like that. Was that still happening while you were sort of doing this searching? Yeah. So I've always been cooking. Um, okay. Even, even back to those early days when my mom, I was a kid that was like, Oh, I'm not using the microwave to heat anything. Up. <laughs> if I was making ramen noodles, if I was making leftovers from last night, it was going into a pot. It was going into a pan. It was going into the skillet. I wanted to hear it sizzle and bubble and all of that kind of stuff. I wanted to smell the smells. Um, mm -hmm. And so that love for food, even though I didn't become a chef until many, 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 many years later and through several different career transitions, um, the love was always there. I was always cooking from a very early age. You know, um, now I will say at the point that I committed to making a chef a journey um, at the point that I commit committed to, you know, this career, it definitely elevated several notches. I couldn't just, you know, be a home cook anymore. I had to figure some things out. <laughs> yeah. And so what is, what is, is inspired you to, to, to go the route that you've gone, right? You, you've got this, uh, and I imagine uh, my thought is it's a lot of this homegrown uh, sort of uh, training that you got and you're from Memphis, right? So you, I know you can cook, your people can cook. Uh, in fact, I mean, our families go back some time. We used to go to the same church back in the right. day. Like our families know each other uh, quite we well. My, my aunt was in the kitchen at the church we went to. Ah. And so, you know, like I said, I was always around food. <laughs> I did not know that. You know, uh, that is so interesting. I was just talking to a friend of mine just a day or two ago about Beef Wellington, right? The mm. first time I've ever had Beef Wellington was at the church, right? Part of the, the kitchen staff, they would they, they did that. Now, and I have, I have not had Beef Wellington in years, and I really miss it. And <laughs> my friend had never had it. Uh, but that's where, that, that I didn't know your aunt was a part of that, that kitchen staff uh, at, at the church. They used to throw down. Let me just tell you that. Right they did. Now. <laughs> they did. They did. I think I was up there cleaning chicken every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. So do you, would you say that that's your inspiration, though? That's Because you've got this. I, I want to talk I, before we go there. I want to talk a little bit about your style of cooking. Right. You you deal in this uh, the comfort foods with a twist. Can you just unpack that a little bit for us? 
So, I, like you said, I go with comfort food. I go very Southern. I go very familiar, but I elevate it. Like, I like to take things that feel so ordinary and 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 make you be like wow how did you make this five star how did you make that that pretty how did you give that mm. that much color how did you, you you know take this which most people might see as simple and easy and and, and, and make me feel like i should have paid this much for it mm. make me feel like it's so pretty that i don't want to touch it and um and so <laughs> i registered you know Early in my career, I was making similar food as a lot of people, but the, uh, my mother always kind of harped on presentation. And so I think mm. my my desire to present it differently um, and to always be you know creative and always kind of stand on my toes kind of helped me, honestly helped me in my career, kind of helped me set, help set me apart. You know, you might get this same dish from three different people, but you know, the way I present it, played it, color it, word it is, is you know, gonna be my flair. Absolutely. I, I mean, that that is that has rained true uh, every time I've I've uh, had something from from you that you've made. Right. I, and I've had a, a couple of occasions to do that just in a in professional settings. I think one I, before I went to law school, you uh, catered my party in Memphis that I had. I had a collective I there. I forgot. About yeah. That. <laughs> oh, I had just started, too. Yeah. You were you were fresh off the boat, like off the, you know, out in the I game. Was, I was I was still catering out of my apartment uh, <laughs> in um, downtown Memphis. Yeah. You were living in Memphis. That was a long time ago. That was that was I started law school in 2013. So I think it was the summer of 2013 that, that happened. Uh, and you were really gracious to me. You didn't charge me too much. I was like, please help me. <laughs> and you really did a great job. Like it was people had a wonderful time. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but I told you in the in the room, I was like, y'all watch out for this guy. He's going to be the, <laughs> one of the biggest uh, chefs. I, and I think I made a I misspoke. I said he's going to be the biggest one of the biggest chefs in D.C. And they're like, no, he's in Memphis. I, and I was like, okay, well, I'm speaking it into existence. He's going to be in D.C. In New York too. Listen, and I you've been all over the place. Yeah, I've worked in D.C. a couple of times. You have. In fact, the second event that I had that you catered was with our friends at the Black Millennials for Flint. In uh, D.C. You, you did. It was in D.C. One of our, I'm on the board for them, right? I think you are close with the, one of our, we have a mutual friend in Latricia Adams. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you you catered one of our sort of annual events here in D.C. as well, which was also, which was also awesome. So thank you. Thank yeah, you, so you, you. that was uh, so I've had a couple occasions to be able to 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 be a guest where you are are catering and it's always uh, exactly on brand, right? It's always delicious. It looks good. Uh, there's a level of service that is uh, that you really can't 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 buy, and so I commend you for that. You you're pretty consistent with that, and that's not always uh, that's not always easy to do. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. That. Uh, so I, I want to also talk about this, right? And I, I've got to, I'm watching the clock here, so I, I my, so my editor doesn't beat me up. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we also got a chance to see you on national, international TV. Can you tell us about uh, about that experience, the show, and 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 what that was like for you? Oh yeah, so I was on Chopped. My actually, my episode aired. Uh, maybe two days ago last year, so March second last year. Oh, nice! Um, so coming up on your, you just passed your anniversary then, yeah. Yeah, Facebook and all of that reminded me. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was avoiding the show for years. Um, I was afraid to do it, and you know, once you kind of, you kind of, once people, I, I don't know. Once the more I got 
into my celebrity game, the more you just start kind of get emails from like casting people or anytime, like anybody who knows me from Memphis hears about somebody casting people all of a sudden tagging you. And so there's no mm. shortage of opportunities to apply to be on one of these shows, but I've always kind of avoided it. And I think a lot of it was my insecurity about, you know, I was self-taught and I didn't want to get on a platform like that and and not know what I was doing and embarrass myself. And so I had avoided it for so long. And then COVID hit, uh, everything is slowed down. And I randomly get a DM from one of the casting directors. And I was like, all right, if, and they're asking me to do an interview. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Cause you know, if they, you know, I avoid applying for it, but now you're in my DMs and I would feel like, you know, you know, a scary cat if I walked away from the opportunity. And so I was like, all right, I'll audition. Well, not audition, but do, you know, the, uh, you know, casting interviews and all that kind of stuff. And I had done a few of these casting things before and, you know, I always kind of make it to the final round and never quite make it. So I got used to that. But this one, this time I was like, oh man, I'm gonna make this. I kind of didn't even try too hard. And this, this time I just kind of felt, and sure enough, I made it onto the show. Um, I had a lot of anxiety around doing it again. I didn't want to get on there and like, you know, not do well. I wanted to get on there and kill it. And so I did it. It was an amazing opportunity. It was exactly like I thought it was going to be. Um, it was, you know, scary as, yeah. as, 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 as heck. Uh, but it was, it's a, it was a really, really good time. And it definitely as a, you know, to bring it back to entrepreneurship as a, as a creative, as a chef, but as an entrepreneur, it definitely helped me and my confidence to go to the next level. I'll, yeah. I'll have you seen, have you seen, has that impacted being on the show? Has that impacted your business positively or negatively? Or is has that had an impact on your business at all? Definitely positively. Um, I didn't realize it, it was, it was, it was going to be that big of a deal. Hmm. Um, in, in my mind, you know, as, as a chef who's known several chefs who've been on that show and many other TV shows, I just thought that was just kind of like a inevitable, inevitable part of the career journey. Like at some point, you know, you'll end up on one of these things. But then when I, you know, where it got out that I was, oh my God, the level of support that came mm. from every direction. I, you know, I meet people to this day and was like, yo, I didn't know who you were, but that day you were on chop, you took over my entire timeline. And yeah. I, I didn't know who you were that day, but now that I meet you in person, you know, it was that kind of thing. And, you know, that's yeah. also translated through business and clients, you know, people, I remember before I started charging more, people was like, the price went up, the price went up. Like, oh, oh, that's how y'all feel? Okay. <laughs> Let's do that then. Yeah, yesterday's um, price is not today's price. <laughs> I saw that a couple of times in the comments and I was like, oh, is that what people think? Let me, <laughs> yeah. I just, but no, no, like there's been a lot of support. Um, I've had a couple of projects out since then. I, we did the Friendsgiving tour again since then. I've put out a virtual cookbook since then. Both of those were greatly supported. I think they would have been supported um, prior to CHOP, but I think sure. after having gone on CHOP, what support looks like did elevate a lot in a lot of different spaces. Absolutely. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to the other things that you've got coming. You you do so much. You Like we talked about, you do the Friendsgiving tour, which is you go to Memphis and Atlanta, New York. I think you were in D.C. this last year. Was that your first time in D.C.? That was my first time uh, hosting an event of my own in D.C. Yes. Yeah, right. For the Friendsgiving. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I, I've heard heard great things about all of them. I'll be attending in the future, maybe even sponsoring. Right. I want to get engaged with you uh, on, on the ground level. I always, uh, you know, just enjoy. And it just seems like a great atmosphere in all of the locations, too. Uh, you also got cookbooks and 
Uh, you got all this stuff. So how do people get, how do we get that, and how do we get to you, right, and get to your, all the wonderful things that you got going? How do we, how do we get to that? How do the people get to that? All right. So if you want to find me, you can find me a couple of different ways. Um, if you're a social media person on Instagram, I'm really active on Instagram. So uh, that hashtag is not hashtag, but that handle is chef underscore D Arthur. That's chef underscore D A R T H U R. Um, that's also very similar to my website, which is chef So chef and that will take you to, if you have questions about my cookbooks, it'll link you there. If you have questions about the Friendsgiving tour in the upcoming years, it'll link you there. We also have some merchandise, um, that goes hand in hand with the tour. All of that is through the website. If you want to book me for an event anywhere in the country or abroad, holla at your boy, you can get access to me there. So my website or Instagram are the top ways. Uh, to get a hold of me. Also, my email address, info at chefdarthur.com, but also both my Instagram and website will take you to my email address. And we'll have that information on, on our website as well. Make sure we get the, so the po- folks know how to find you. So can you tell us, uh, these are I, my last two questions. I always like to end with these. Um, was there, what's your best or worst experience, right, in this in this field? Something that, that, that maybe changed your uh, trajectory, uh, or just as you've been going, going along, it was either your highlight or maybe your low point that you had to pick yourself up from what's, you can pick whichever one, and, but, but we want to hear about that. Um, I guess one of the challenges or low points has been, um, I guess as you continue to grow as a chef or grow as an entrepreneur or grow as a creative, um, particularly as someone who is who is very intentional about aesthetic uh the price of what it costs to accomplish what i do has gradually gone up as i've gotten better and not just because you know i'm charging more but just because the the quality of what i'm trying to present is 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 you know the aesthetic of what i'm trying to present um is going up the creativity is going up the level of service is going up the level of logistics Mm. are, are greater and so it's been a challenge to kind of embrace where you started and the people who were kind of there from the beginning, but also under the, like, I can't stay here. I have to continue to grow. Mm. Um, and, and, and there's been a lot of, you know, to this, you know, people say nowadays, it's kind of like, I'm not even gonna call you cause I know you're going to be, you know, that kind of energy. And it's just kind of like, while, while I appreciate, you know, you honoring that, you know, this is a valuable service. Um, it is a challenge because I think part of me wants to honor where I started from. Uh, part of me wants to honor people. And I think I'm able to offset a lot of that through the tour. I try to keep mm-hmm. the ticket prices for that as affordable uh, as possible. That way, if people can't necessarily afford me for an event, uh, they can at least afford to access my work through other spaces, through a cookbook, through a recipe, through one of my personal events. But that was a struggle for me, um, growing, but still trying to honor the spaces where I started. Yeah, well, that's huge. I think, and I think that's something that doesn't go away either, right? Like, I think uh, I, I shared that um, that sort of concern, right? I my whole goal in, in my legal practice is to like uh, make legal services available for folks who generally think that's a luxury, right? I don't think it's a luxury; it's a necessity. But it's most people are priced out, uh, and so it's it's hard to balance that mission with 
okay, well, we also have expenses and bills, and like that, that's gotta be that's gotta be uh, covered too in our costs. Uh, and so I, I get that, and that's something as you grow, as we grow as entrepreneurs, we have to kind of honor that, right? Don't we don't have to shy away from the fact that this stuff costs money. Um, I heard people say like, just because it's black owned doesn't mean it's cheap, right? That's not, and people Amen. confuse that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. So that, that, that's been a challenge. Um, but it's been, I think a lot of people are rising to the, you know, no, you, you know, like I said, I saw people in the comments after chop saying, Oh no, the price went up. Other people yeah, were saying that before you. I said it. So I think people honor that, you know, while yesterday's price is not today's price, yesterday's work is not also today's work. Mm. Oh, that's good. Oh, that is so good. Uh, okay, I'm running out of time here. I've got to get to my last question. This is actually my favorite question. Um, what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs, uh, other chefs, uh, up-and-coming chefs, or what's your advice to your younger self that you wish you had it now, right? So you can kind of pick where you want to be in there, but we're looking for what counsel that you do you have for the people? Um, I, I think the same advice would apply to my former self and up, up and coming chefs or entrepreneurs, which is I always tell students this when I'm talking to students is always take advantage of the free resources. There are mm. so many of them. We always kind of focus on like, oh, I can't do this because it's not in my budget or I can't do this because this is expensive or I can't afford this graphic designer or I can't afford this or, you know, and ex especially with the expansion of technology, there are so many free resources that you can just Google right now and have access to without having to pay extraordinary fees or even like a lot of me learning recipes and the stuff um, in lieu of not going to culinary school was through uh, Googling, through uh, YouTube, yeah. through, you know, actually, you know, when bloggers write all of that extra information that you don't really care about actually reading that. Um, and so there's so much, there's such a free wealth of information out there. Take full advantage of all of the stuff that's free. And that's not just necessarily information. That might just be relationships. A lot of yeah. my growing has come through you know, partnering with other chefs who got the experience that I didn't have, learning from them. You know, I'm good at creativity and business stuff. You might be good at, you know, technique that I didn't get to go to culinary school and learn. And so now we're working together and we're both learning. And so just whatever those resources are to you, whether they are information, whether they are other people, whether they are community, whether it's finances, whatever it is, take advantage of all of those resources. Yes, I think that's great counsel. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show. We are so glad. I mean, I'm, I'm super hype. I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> thank you. And glad to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, and we'll see you next time, friends. We will be right back uh, to do our motivational moment. Uh, then we'll wrap up the show. All right, friends, we are back. And it's now time for our motivational moment. I want to take the opportunity to remind you that your voice has value in this sad and cruel world. Your experience is uniquely valid and worthy of expression. There is space, whether yet to be discovered or currently or current, um, that is uniquely and perfectly filled by you and you alone. And so you must 
I must, we must show up fully authentic in every space. Now, that doesn't mean we do away with societal norms, laws, or workplace culture. However, it does mean that within those bounds, right, within those certain uh, uh, rules and guidelines, so we don't go to jail or lose our jobs or lose our friends, um, it is important for us to show up as our authentic selves. Again, our unique experience has value and it's actually really necessary in this world. You and I were here for a reason. There's purpose on our lives uh, and there is a vision and dreams. There are visions and dreams that we must accomplish. And the only way to do that is by showing up fully authentic. If we're spending time matching energy or changing ourselves to, uh, to fit into spaces that we actually don't belong, well, then we rob the world of our true authentic selves, of our true gifts and callings. And well, it just ain't worth it. So show up fully authentic today and every day, and let's let that be our work. That's your motivational moment today. We'll be right back to wrap things up. Well, friends, it's a wrap, and we have done it again. That is episode six under our belt. Thank you so much for listening and for watching. Really appreciate the, the support and the love. We thank you for all the comments, emails, and text messages about the show. Keep up that same energy. We really appreciate that. Big shout out today to our guests, Ms. Ashley Jones, Esquire, and Chef D. Author. Thank you for being here. Folks, really appreciate your time. Join us next week where we'll talk to Mr. A.J. Amasa, Esquire, and Jeanette Forge-Smith. Looking, for, uh, looking forward to hearing from them this week, or next week, I should say. Big shout out to Lizzo for our Voyage 5. This is Juice. Also want to thank our staff, intern, Marcel Simmons. Really appreciate you, sir. Also to Dash Coordinating and Marketing for your marketing efforts. Appreciate you. And of course, my main man, Keith Jackson at Mad Rabbit, who's really holding down for us on the editing side. We really appreciate you, uh, brother, uh, and wishing you well. Looking forward to next week and to wrapping up. Remember, Lawyerish is brought to you by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. Until next time, friends, I hope you're having as much fun as I am. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Just like any voyage, it's always a little bit more fun if you can bring a friend or two along. So we look forward to hearing from you as well. You can always email us, lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. You can find me on Instagram at, at bwallydsq. And we have an Apex Instagram as well, and that's at apexgroupdc. You know where to find us. We'll be right back here next week. Until next time, friends, be well. <laughs>